Hi, I'm Jeff Brazier, and this is the NL Full-Time Podcast. Welcome to this week's NL Full-Time. We're still in lockdown. I hope you're all keeping well and, and washing your hands. Um, Rob's not with us. He's delivering important supplies around the country, so we salute him. And, and Tom's spending time with his with his lovely wife. So joining us today, it's a bit of a northern affair. We've got Chris Pratt. Hello, Chris. Hello, Luke. And we've also got Dickie as well, fresh from his morning workout. Hello, Dickie. Good morning, Luke. Good morning, Chris. And, and also joining us, we've had managers on and, and coaches the last couple of weeks, so we're going for a journalistic point of view. And it's Mark Carruthers from the, the Sunderland Echo and, and the Chronicle. Is it up there, the paper? It is, yeah. Yeah, keeping us busy at the moment with uh, all this going on. So it's uh, plenty to talk about, isn't there? <laughs> well, I was going to say, there's not a lot of football to write about, so but have you got actually quite a lot to, uh, to scribe down at the minute? Yeah, I mean, I've been doing a lot of uh, nostalgic pieces, so looking back at, at Vols wins for our clubs, which thankfully uh, there's been quite a few. Um, today I'm just about to do an interview with Nicky Gray, the Morpeth Town Manager, just about his time at the club. So there's always there's always things to write about. Um, I, I dabble in the odd bit of Newcastle United uh, content as well. So um, despite the fact there's no actual football to talk about, there's always uh, there's always something. We're going to have a look at the National League because there's been a lot of developments this week. They've uh, there was a statement released from the National League saying they've not really made any decision on on how the season's going to go. They're leaving it up to the clubs, so the clubs are going to vote. But rather bizarrely, guys, the National League clubs all seem to get a vote each, whereas National League North and South only get four votes per club, and they're going to decide how the season is going to end. And if if that is the case, and it, there's no um, there's kind of a deadlock in a way, then Brian Barwick has a deciding vote if required. So it just seems a really unfair way of doing it. Every club in the top division does get one vote and then four each from the north and the south. I, I don't understand that myself. Well, you're basically given 70, I think 75% that will work out of the um, the power is, is with the, the clubs in the Premier, well, the, the top division, which I don't get. It's a joint decision. And I think personally, if it's something on this scale, and it, the, the fallout of whatever is decided is going to be quite severe. Surely that that power should be shared equally between all clubs that are members. That that, that to me would make sense. Um, the, these are unprecedented times. These are um, it's a horrible situation. I think you know everyone knows that the the, the, the kind of public's health is is paramount here, and everyone doing the right thing. But you know football will return. That's a message that's been quite strong, quite prominent from everyone. You know will return at some point. So it's important that we maintain the, the integrity and do things in the fairest way. And I just think giving everyone a, a vote on something so important would be uh, the best way of doing that. I think one thing that is off the table is null and void, isn't it? Like they've done at step three and six. We'll come on to that regarding South Shield shortly. But I think you look at the EFL and they said they're going to cram in 100-odd games into 56 days. I mean, do you see a similar scenario in the National League, albeit there's probably less games for them to play? I think I think that that could be the, the way they'll go. I think um, it personally wouldn't be what I would do because I think it's uh, you know there are a lot of part-time sides in, in both divisions and asking part-time players, although this does happen quite regularly towards the end of seasons once performance have kicked in, um, you know there will be playing sort of Saturday, Tuesday, Thursday, Saturday, which uh, you know that puts players at risk for me. I, I think I could I could be wrong, but maybe professionals could do it. But I think semi-professional lads who are going to be going out to work when everything's you know, safe and everyone's ready to do so. I think it's uh, it would be questionable if it would have to be done over a couple of months. I think, which would then have a, an impact on next season. Um, it, it, if I'm honest, I don't think there is a, a right way out of this. Um, I don't think there is a, um, a a perfect scenario where we can finish the season in, in, a, in a in a safe way. But I think I, I don't envy anyone having to make the decision. Put it that way. But uh, we need to find the safest and. and and, and probably the um, the most effective way out of this. Yeah, I mean, it, it is a really difficult situation. Um, if we look at the position that the National League are in of effectively giving the clubs the vote to decide what happens, um, I, I think there, there, are, there are clubs at other levels, certainly step three and below, who would have, who would have welcomed that um, for themselves rather than the decision that was made to null and void. But then there's also the criticism in the National League that there's a lack of leadership being shown there. And you could arguably that was what was shown um, in the decision that was made for the, the, the clubs from step three and below that, that, that the FA did 
um, show leadership there, or the leagues did show leadership and and took a decision. As you say, Mark, there, there's no perfect solution. There's always going to be people um, dissatisfied by whatever you solution that you come up with. It's not going to. It's never going to suit everybody. Uh, but then that's life, isn't it? As well, you know, there's we live in a, a democracy, but you know, decisions get made that don't always uh, go to your benefit um, and benefit other people. And that's kind of just the way that. That, that life is. How, how do you divvy up the votes between the North and South? I mean, which clubs do you pick? Is, is there a vote to decide which clubs do it? Then do you pick clubs who are mid-table? Because surely if you go and pick a promotion or relegation team, then they're, they're going to look at the best interests, aren't they? Well, Luke, I think I personally think that that's why this is so strange. Well, why? I totally agree with what Mark was saying earlier. There's so many aspects to this, but on the aspects of the of the vote, why just four votes uh, for for the north and, and four votes for the south teams? And as you say, who chooses? Um, do, is it in, and the number's going to be fed into a random number generator? Are people going to put their hands up? And because uh, the different clubs will 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 have different views on it. Dicky, from from your point, I don't mind um, the clubs getting the vote. I think that's probably better, to be honest. Um, as long as everyone got a vote, it, that 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 to me seems strange. Yeah, and I, and and I would agree with you there that, that that is a big puzzle about why there's only four for the for the north and south. Um, my feeling, and it is only a feeling, I've got no evidence for this whatsoever. It, it it's that possibly with there being more professional clubs, or largely professional clubs in the national league, that perhaps it's judged that there would be bigger financial implications for them, and so that the vote somehow gives a, a weighting to those clubs, but. To me, if you are uh, a member club of the National League, whether that be the top division or the North or the South, um, one one club, one vote feels the right thing to do. You know, if if that's you know, if you're being democratic about this, I, th- I think it's a valid point you just made there about the, the professional clubs in both divisions. Because let's not forget, we have in, in the North and South there are professional clubs up here. We have Gateshead, for example. But if you're if you're a member club of of the National League, you, they can't turn around and say, well, your vote doesn't count or won't count because you're you're only semi-pro. You remember that league on merit and you remember that league because you deserve to be there for one reason or another. So your your vote should count whether you are a semi-professional or professional outfit. I, that, that, in a situation as, as serious as this, and, and by that I mean the, the wider situation, not the, the footballing situation, mm. everyone's vote should count the same. There is no... Um, there should be no kind of uh, difference between uh, what, what status your clubs are. Everyone should get a vote because everyone should have a say on the best way forward for the league. Yeah, sure. I mean, when people go to the ballot box in a general election, it doesn't matter if you're worth millions. It doesn't matter, you know, if you're unemployed. Your vote counts for the same amount. You, it is one man, one vote, and I don't see why the same isn't applied here. Luke, can we tackle the um, the structure of the vote as well? Because there's been a lot of a lot of talk on the very first vote as to whether the season carries on or the season is ended, um, as I as I believe it. And um, a lot of people are saying, well, how can you vote on that when you don't know what's going to follow? You know, is it going to be points per game? Is it going to be where you finish at the at the end of the end of the season? And so people, a lot of people are saying, a bit, <laughs> we're going a bit into Brexit. London. <laughs> I was literally right? just thinking that. Yeah, is it the right <laughs> question? <laughs> no, I mean, it's, it's an interesting point, and you sent a link to us today about an excellent piece that's in The Guardian, and the National League are basically trying to push clubs towards saying, look, should, look, let's just end the regular season now, And but it sounds like it's not going to be a null and void, so if they do end the season, it could well be, well, that's in the positions that you're at, but you just made a good point then before we came and start recording, Chris, about there's clubs who can... There's many clubs now with the playoff extension who've still got a chance of getting in the playoffs, haven't they? Yeah, I mean, then that might influence it as well. The um, the league, as we've been talking about all season, is very congested, definitely in the uh, in the Prem at the minute. And um, a lot of clubs have got an interest and a lot of clubs might think they could force their way into that playoff position. I think from a personal point of view, and if you look at it from a, a the bigger picture... Um, my wife's working for the NHS at the moment and um, it, this thing doesn't seem to be slowing down or it, we haven't even reached the peak of it yet that we, we could possibly, in my view, even be in a position to play games um, over the summer um, safely. 
I know I heard something on the radio this morning. I think it was uh, someone from uh, a representative from Bristol City saying that you know we could test all the players to make sure that they're you know, free of, of, of coronavirus and then and then get the matches on. And I've got to say that seems a bit irresponsible to me. So to to for the clubs to think that they may even have a chance of finishing the season over the summer, um, or would they be thinking we could finish it? at the start of what would be next season. I just, I can't see it myself. I, 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 heard, I heard that as well uh, this morning. And it was, for me, what then happens if a player does, uh, be, is diagnosed with it? it? You know, what happens then is that all of a sudden everything stops again. It, it's just such a bizarre comment to come out with. Um, and as you say, completely irresponsible. And someone who's clearly just desperate to, <laughs> to get out of, probably a bit of boredom at the moment but it's um you know everything has to be to be done in a safe way and if we're not playing football by november so be it you know there's more important things football as much as we all love it if we're honest is largely irrelevant at the moment it's it's the the wider situation that's far far more important it it does feel a little bit though uh from that quote that was given there that that person i don't know they all but perhaps isn't reading the room particularly well i mean there is a shortage of testing for frontline workers, people who are actually working in the NHS. If we're saying that, oh, you know, we need enough tests to be able to test however many footballers so they can, you know, play a game of football, that that's sort of like going, um, I'm not sure the public will necessarily read that particularly well, if I'm honest. I know there's um, talk of a World Cup style sort of doing it, you know, like say cramming it in and doing it like a little tournament almost and doing the playoff straight at the end of it and just... Going straight through, so <clears throat> so it's, it's just a case of watch this space. It's changing, yeah, almost day by day, isn't it? So. I'm not I'm not entirely sure that the national league proposal either the vote. I mean, and this is again one of those things that we are we're having to speculate because it's not been laid down particularly clearly as to what's going to happen. But um, I'm not entirely sure that what the clubs will be voting for. Um, I don't know that there will be playoffs. I think perhaps what they're being asked to vote for is just on how they will end the season. And if that, if they just say, well, look, how do we, if we're going to project forward to everybody just completing the regular season and then just promote or relegate from the National League based on final positions rather than playoff positions. Um, I've heard a suggestion that that might be the case, but um, I say we just don't know, do we? I mean, I, I did have a look. On, I think it was Thursday when this came out um, and had a look at a, a couple of ways that the points per game might work. Obviously, if you just freeze things as they are on the number of points per game that teams have earned up to this point, um, or whether you say, well, look, you've got to take into account that other, some teams have got more games left to play than others. If you work out what their points per game has been up to now and give them those points per game for the games they've got left add it on to the points they've earned up to this point so that you're not like completely dismissing what people have done up to now it actually makes no difference to the final positions in any of the three divisions the teams finishing first and second and the teams finishing in 23rd and 24th are exactly the same whichever method you choose yeah it would be- i know we spoke we spoke about this didn't we chris earlier on in the week and like you said barrow and harrogate you you couldn't grumble, I don't think, if you're another club and just say, yeah, put those two up, do you know? Yeah, absolutely. It wouldn't make a difference to the top two or the uh, the bottom two uh, positions, but I think it would make a difference to who was in the playoff positions, for example. Um, yeah. yeah, I've seen some I've seen some people, uh, Notts County fans particularly, I think because they've been on a good run and were coming strong at the end of the season, that obviously wouldn't be particularly chuffed by that. If if you did a points per game on them, they'd actually drop to fifth place from the third that they're currently in, because there are there are other teams around them um, whose points per game is is higher. So uh, and and with the and with the number of games you've got left to factor in as well. Um, again, no perfect solution, is there? No, no, there really isn't, Vicky. I think, I think from from the way I've understood it, and if anyone can correct me if I'm wrong, so you've got the vote on whether we end now or whether we carry on, and then the way I've understood it is the North and South clubs, or the four, whoever the four representatives are from both those divisions, then get to vote on what they do next, although that's not clear what the, the options are, and then the Prem clubs vote after that vote on how they see it happening. 
just seems overly complex. <laughs> it's yeah. just not, just again, it goes back to uh, what I was saying about how important the situation is. If everyone's got a vote, you just you mentioned Brexit before. I think it was Chris who said it. But, you know, just make it simple, make it straightforward. Let people know exactly what they're voting for. Do one vote, and then everything's sorted. It's it's such a, a bizarre scenario, but. For me, and, and I know this is kind of looking at the, the wider situation across the pyramid, but I've had it said to me that, you know, it feels as if we're now functioning with two different pyramids. And I think that's a real concern for, or should be, a real concern for the Football Association. I've had that said by five or six clubs that have been impacted lower down the pyramid. Uh, they don't feel part of the, the wider system now, and that should be a real concern because that's we're very fortunate in this country that we have got a a non-league pyramid the way we have and a football pyramid that we have because other countries around you just don't have something like this. I mean, it, it, for me, you've got to do everything you can to protect the integrity of it. And that means that there should be uh, a blanket decision. I know I've kind of moved on to other leagues, but the, the National League, uh, they should be part of, of this the wider decision that's being made. And uh, I find it quite frustrating that they haven't been. Yeah. yeah I, well, I think, go on, Luke. Go on. Go on. No, go I was going to say, I was going to say, um, I think you're right there, Mark, that um, although we're, we're discussing the, the finer points of this particular situation as it affects the National League, in some ways that's the, the thin end of the wedge. The, 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 the larger argument, as you've said there, and, and, and the, the more debated point is why we're having different decisions for different steps of the pyramid. Why were steps three to seven different to steps one and two? Um, you know, the Premier League are potentially doing their own thing um, separate from the EFL. And I suppose it just points to the very fractured nature of um, football administration in this country and, and the way that it's um, it's been broken up over the last 30 years or so. Well, you see, the one thing I've, I've had said to me consistently by people like Stockton Town, by people like South Shields is that if this decision had been taken to end the season and void the season from Premier League down to, you know, however far you want to go down the pyramid, step seven, step six, then they would have, yes, they wouldn't have liked the decision because it still ultimately would have cost them league titles or promotions or whatever, but they would have found it far more acceptable if the likes of your Liverpools and your Leeds and, and you know, Barrows are being said, right, that's it, you're done as well now, your season's voided. If everyone's in the same boat, then I think, as I said, they would have found it far more acceptable. But at the minute, it does feel as if we're now functioning with, with two pyramids. And I've got a lot of sympathy for for a lot of clubs throughout throughout the system. Yeah, yeah it's I ironic. Think... No, I was just going to say, it's, it's, it's ironic that you mentioned South Shields. And, and obviously, you mentioned as well, you're going to talk to Nicky Gray at, at Morph. But both sides, yeah. who've, I think it's fair to say, have spent a bit of money as well this season looking to go to that next level. South Shields were almost there. Marpeth had a chance of getting into the playoffs and both of them could have been in the National League North next season and they won't be now. Well, do you know what? Um, Marpeth have been um, been quite supportive of the decision, uh, which uh, I, I get why they've done that. But by the same token, I also think, looking at the run they were on, looking at how strong their squad is compared to what it was at the start of the season, I firmly believe they would have at very least been in the playoffs because I'm fairly certain if, if they had won all the games in hand, they would have went about three points or six points behind South Shields with South Shields to play. So, you know, they could have complained as much as anyone, but they haven't. They're, they're kind of getting ready for next season now, whenever that gets underway. But South Shields, I think you, you mentioned there that they're currently, um, or they are now functioning with a, a hybrid system of uh, full-time and part-time players with the aim of moving towards becoming a full-time professional outfit and you know Jeff Thompson the, the chairman has invested a lot of money that's been well versed uh, they've got a, a, a massive support you saw the FC United game um, before the break they, there was over 3,000 there which is remarkable for uh, for the Northern Premier League and everything feels like it's moving in the right direction now for, for both clubs by the way not, not just South Shields but for Morbeth as well and I think they are understandably frustrated with what's gone on. But again, I still think it would have been more acceptable if this whole whole decision had been made across the board. Yeah, and obviously, not to keep our Southern friends out of it, we've obviously got your likes, your Worthing as well, yeah, uh, down below and, and teams like that who <clears throat> probably feel the same way and are probably amongst the ones who've uh, signed that petition. And it's just bizarre. And I'm guessing, like I said, I think you mentioned about the Brexit vote. Maybe the easiest thing is just to shove a piece of paper in front of each like of the teams in the National League and the North and the South and just say, do you want the season to end, yes or no? See what the deciding vote is. If it's yes, then decide which is the best way to do it, really. 
I think given the way the country's gone the last six years, I probably wouldn't do that. <laughs> this is a message from the government and the NHS about how to protect yourself and others from coronavirus. Wash your hands more often than usual, for 20 seconds each time. Use soap and water or a hand sanitizer when you get home or arrive at work, when you blow your nose, sneeze or cough, and when you eat or handle food. For more information, go to nhs.uk forward slash coronavirus. Protect yourself and others. Hi, I'm John Murray, and you're listening to the NL Full-Time Podcast. Mark, just um, just on your, your northeast knowledge, obviously, um, you know, we just talked about South Shields and Morpeth, but on the other side of the coin, you've got Blythe, who looked almost, well, looked dead first to be to be going down as well. I mean, have you have you heard much from, from them? Well, I think they're, they're praying that the season is ended and voided, aren't they? I mean, let's yeah. be honest, I think... It would have taken a, a minor miracle for them to escape that bottom two. Um, same goes for, for Bradford Park Avenue as well. I think um, you know they, they've just had a disastrous season um, from losing Alan Armstrong at the end of last season to to losing the likes of Dan Maguire and um, you know Peter Jameson, the keeper. They've just had a nightmare, and it's just this could be an unexpected positive end to to a nightmare where they could somehow retain their step two place, and um, it's. Uh, yeah, they, they, they are praying that it, it, the vote comes out on their, their side because I, I think you know, Blythe were relegated to the, to the Northern Premier League. Last time that happened, they've only been relegated once in the history and that happened back in, in 2000, uh, 2012. And it took them five years to get back up and I think it would take even longer this time because Step 3 is becoming more competitive, it's becoming more wealthy across the board and I, I couldn't see them going up. So I think, uh, yeah, they, 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 are, they will be praying that. <laughs> you know that, that it does come out on the, the side of avoiding the season or uh, or not having relegation. It was rather a surprising appointment that they got Lee Clark in the first place. I mean, it was quite a coup, wasn't it? He was looking uh, to get back into management. It was almost like a last chance saloon for him, but it's just not worked. I mean, he's tried to use a lot of young players, hasn't he? And that inexperience at times has cost him. Well, Lee, Lee openly admitted that he, um, he he took he always says this he took some some bad advice. He tried to to bring in players that he thought were. Uh, I was told already from the Northern League. Now, going from from Northern League Division One to you know the the Northern Premier League or the, the North West Division, that's that's a tough step. To then throw your, your Northern League players into competing with the likes of York City and you know clubs like that, that that's a, that's a massive step to take. And there's no surprise that the Blythe had the best parts of the season when they started signing players that had been released by, by Newcastle or they started getting players on, on loan from clubs further up the pyramid. So when they got Callum Roberts, for example, who's been absolutely fantastic since he's gone to Notts County, um, that was a real coup, getting Callum Roberts, because he's a, he's, a, he's a very, very talented boy and someone who I think will be playing football league before long. But, um, you know, they got Jack Hunter, who was a Gateshead last season, did so well, was captain Newcastle's under 23s the year before. So that was when Blythe started giving themselves a bit of a chance um, to, to get out of that bottom two. And, and you're right about Lee, it was a real coup. Um, in hindsight, I would like to know if the board think they made the right move. Um, and that's nothing on Lee, because he, he did everything he could. But I do wonder if they maybe thought they should have went with someone who had a bit more experience with the league and, and the, the non-league scene in the region. But there aren't many managers worked hard on Lee Clark to get to get their club away from where they were, and he, he undertook a very difficult job. And you have to, you know, you, you have to feel sorry for them for where they are because, um, you know, it's a great fan base up there. That's actually where I started um, working within the media. I was their press officer during the cup run uh, in two thousand fourteen fifteen, and it, it's such a shame to see where they are. But as I say, they've got a chink of light now, haven't they? They, they could well stay up by technicality and it's down to the board and the club to to, to get them away from and make sure what happens this, or what has happened this season uh, doesn't happen again I suppose the, that's the most disappointing thing for them because it yeah, I was just going to say because they're very partisan at home and they rely a lot on the home farm. They're very sort of proud of the home farm and it, it, I suppose that's the biggest hurt for them this year that they've not really performed at home Yeah, I mean I was there um, early season they played Hereford and, and it was um Trying to think of the best way to describe it. It was a meek performance. They just they were they were poor. Um, but then I was there New Year's Day when they played Gateshead and probably one of the games of the season, um, a three-three against Gateshead. And um, the atmosphere that day was jumping. And I just think you know they are a proud crowd. It's, it's a work, working-class town where 
um, you know, they're the proud of the club. I mean, for a size of the town to have done what Blythe Spartans have done throughout the history in, in the FA Cup, and uh, you know, we all we all know the runs that they've been on. It, it, it's a, a remarkable place, and I feel so sorry for the supporters because <laughs> they've been through the ring of this season. After you know, when Lee came in, there was a lot of positivity because it was like, wow, we've got a, a manager who not so long ago brought records in the football league. You know, when he went on that great run with Huddersfield, but it just hasn't worked out for one reason or another. Um, and, and hopefully, whatever happens over the coming weeks and or days, hopefully they can just move on from what has been a, a disaster of a season. I know the uh, the chairman there said that he was looking at crowds of 1,500 that then to make it sustainable, hence why Alan Armstrong left in the end, because he said well, the budget's not sustainable, and that, hence he went off to Darlington, didn't he? Yeah, that, that was a big loss, because Alan, I've got so much time for Alan, I, I firmly believe at some point he could be a manager in the Football League. I think he's he's done a, a, he did, well, he did a fantastic job at Blythe. Um, he embraced the, the club, he embraced the, the culture up there, and, and Got some great results, you know. I mean, it got them to the quarterfinal of the FA Trophy. Um, obviously, they romped the, the, the what was then the Evo Stick Premier League, uh, Northern Premier League Premier Division title. Um, they won the Northumberland Senior Cup in his first year as well. Um, and it was just such a loss. Um, the, the, my issue is there is this constant, and, and I do get the need to get more and more income into a club. There is this constant. Um, <clears throat> I remember when I was there, it was like we need to get crowds of four hundred, and then. Right, we need 600, now we need 800, now we need 1,000, we need 1,200, we need 1,500. And I do get that, but there's only so many times you can go to the well for me. You need to at some point say, right, um, we're going to put something on the pitch that is going to get crowds of 1,500, rather than mm. backtracking and saying, let's try and get players from the Northern League, who are, are very, very talented boys, but to make them step up you know, four, what, three, four levels in the pyramid, that's, that's a massive ask of them, no matter how young and how talented they are. I think that was very much the message from Alan Armstrong towards the end of last season when, I mean, Blythe got into the playoffs and went on a tremendous run, but the backdrop to that was him consistently saying, we've got a good team here, but I can only keep this team together and we can only have this calibre of players at Blythe if we attract more, even more support, more investment. Um, and I suppose he was, he was, you know, almost, uh, laying the, the path there wasn't he for him potentially leaving if that didn't happen the, the, the thing is I spoke to Alan two weeks ago um, for a piece that I'm doing for one of the locals up here and he, and he said um, ironically the piece wasn't was about his playing career not his managerial career but we kind of you know got talking about that and and he said he honestly felt that they were two or three good players away from challenging for the league title um, yeah. now they, they finished uh, they finished in seventh in, in that season um, I'll say Got beat at Altrinum on penalties in the uh, the semi-finals of the playoffs, uh, or, the, or the first round of the playoffs. Um, and I honestly think that night that you could sense that they were that close. You know, the, Dan Maguire is a very very talented striker and someone that's scored a lot of goals at that level. Um, they've got people like Robbie Dale who's been there since about the fifties, I think. Um, you know, he's, he's just been, <laughs> been there forever, but still is one of the most mercurial players I've, I've seen in non-league football just it's amazing that he hasn't played that team then the likes of Nathan Buddle who's gone on to, to do well at Spennymoor you know Peter Jameson who's, who's flying at York it was a great squad and, and one of the most one of the squads that I think will be very fondly remembered by Spartans fans in years to come and it did need just a, a couple of uh, clever acquisitions which I'm fairly confident Alan would have brought in um, and I firmly believe they would have been challenging for, for a place at the, the very top end of the National League North but that hasn't happened, and now there's another, you know, rebuilding job. Um, I'm planning to speak to Michael Nelson, who was caretaker manager, to see what his situation is for next season. If, you know, if he's looking to get the job on a, a permanent basis, that may well depend on what what division they're in. But um, there is a major rebuild needed at Blythe now, and you know, the last time that happened, uh, it, it took five years to get to where they want to be. Last time we had you on, Mark. So we were talking about Gateshead and, and the possible demise, and a lot has happened since then, hasn't it? It certainly has. Do you know what? That's a whole other, uh, on the other end of the scale of, of positivity. Gateshead, um, they now are a stable club with a lot of, um, uh, obviously it's, it's a supporter-led consortium, but they've got local businessmen backing them up who are supporters as well, I should say. Um, Mike Williamson's done a fantastic job putting together a squad um, on, a, on a budget that would, I think a lot of full-time clubs would find challenging. Um, he's worked the loan system well. Um, 
And there's a good feeling when you go to Gateshead. Now, the International Stadium has its critics, um, as Chris will well know. Um, it, it's, it's, not, um, it's not a football stadium. But in the past, when you've gone there, it hasn't felt like Gateshead Football Club's home. When you go there now, there is signage up. Um, it feels like it belongs to the football club. Um, there is a, a positivity about the players. There is an enthusiasm about the players and, and, um, and, and the coaching staff and the board members. And, and fair play to them because you know they were they were close they were very close to going. Um, I would have said um, within seventy two hours uh, of going, uh, you know, going out of existence. But they pulled back from the the brink. They are they are rebuilding. There are plans in place. The academy's doing well. Uh, they've got a good college uh, link up with the college. Um, they've got a very talented squad as well for for, for what Mike's had to work with. And um, I've got no prior connection to Gator other than being a you know a northeast lad. But for me, it's one of the the most uplifting, romantic football stories of the last sort of couple of years to see where they've gone to and, and where they are now. The big thing for them was keeping like so Scott Barrow and Greg Ollie. You know, players who'd done well from in the division above as well. I, I honestly can't believe that Greg Ollie and, and Barrow, for that matter, but particularly Greg Ollie, wasn't looked at by some football league clubs. Um, or at very least National League clubs because Greg is a, a ridiculously talented midfielder, someone who is so comfortable on the ball and so um, so clever as a, as a midfielder. I, I just can't believe he's still there. And I think it says a lot about, if I'm honest, I think it says a lot about the club's impact on him as much as his impact on the club. You know, I think he's really bought into um, in, into what Gateshead are trying to do. Uh, if you don't mind me giving a quick plug, I've got a... Um, a piece with Greg uh, about his career uh, on my, my Twitter page that I did for the Sunderland Echo, and um, he talks about it then the fact that you know the, the kind of difficult scenario that they went through last season brought the squad closer together. And yes, players left, um, but there weren't many players that left uh, to move down the pyramid. Most of them moved up. You know, there was um, John Mellish went to Carlisle, for example, um, and, and it, it says a lot that the likes of him and Barrow and JJ O'Donnell and people like that have stayed. Uh, with the club and, and are trying to to get them back in the national league. This time, obviously, we talked about Joseph Caller and he, he was he was a wanted man. And, and Chris Dunphy, the ex Rochdale chairman, wanted to get involved. He obviously dropped his interest when he felt like he was banging his head against a brick wall. But now with this new sort of consortium, there is he is he back in in the shadows or has he disappeared completely? So so the scenario there was that a, a deal was announced. Um, a, a deal, well, sorry, was provisionally agreed, I should say. Um, with a, with a view to Chris getting a, a proper look at the books and doing some serious due diligence, which obviously would have been needed, needed to be done because the club was in a state. Um, there was a hold-up with that, and it wasn't on Chris Dunphy's side. It was all uh, on the side of um, Joseph Caller and uh, Dr. Ranjan Varghese. The, the delays went on and on. The debts mounted up because of that, and Chris, understandably, um, withdrew his interest. And you know, I remember getting the phone call from him to, to say that he was doing that, um, and 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 the, the circumstances that he was um, was in at the time, I think he, he, there was no other option. He couldn't have he couldn't have stuck it out. So he moved away. There was a little bit of interest. I know he did give the uh, supporter-led consortium a bit of advice, and he was at one point going to be part of that. Um, but he's kind of moved around, moved away from it now. So he's not, uh, as far as I'm aware, he's not directly involved at the club. Um, I dare say them he may be. You know, the, the current board may be able to call them for some advice if they wanted, um, but they seem to be doing a pretty decent job at the moment. You know, the club is is stable. They are working hard with sponsors and uh, getting the local community behind them. The crowds have gone up this season. They're averaging over a thousand, which is which is brilliant. It's the first time in a while that's happened at Gateshead. So, yeah, Chris, as far as I'm aware, isn't involved at the club, um, but I think um, would be open to to helping out in an advisory manner um, if if needed. And the other uh, North East clubs, it's, it's, apart from Blyde, all the other North East clubs are doing really well this year. Spennymore and Darlington are up there again, aren't they? Do you know, I, I feel that Spennymore kind of go under the radar a bit. And, and, and I think the job, again, I mentioned Nicky Gray earlier at Morpeth, but the job that Jason Ainsley has done in, in what is a long, long managerial stint at Spennymore, he's re- regenerated that squad constantly. And, you know, people talk about Alex Ferguson at Manchester United, the way he had probably five different teams throughout his team, uh, his time at the club. Jason Enzi's done that. He's, he's you know, won Northern League titles. He's won the FA of Oz. He's, he's won promotion through the pyramid. He's challenged for, um, 
his chance of promotion uh, from the National League North. We shouldn't forget they were a penalty kick away from from being in the National League this season and for a club uh, in a town the size of Spennymoor to be competing with your Notts Counties and, and clubs like that would have been a, just such an amazing story and, and Jay's a top bloke I mean he's a, a really top bloke and the job that he's done the, the players that he's he's developed um, the likes of Glenn Taylor for me one of the one of the best strikers in the National League North and in non-league football and he's someone who you know five years ago was playing in the Northern League and, and, and shows that you can develop if it's done in the right way um, I mentioned again going back to Blythe they, they've tried to make players make that jump from you know, step step five to step, to step two, and that's not going to happen. Whereas people like Glenn Taylor, they've kind of progressed through the pyramid gradually and, and improved and got used to new levels. And that's down to Jane, down to his coaching staff. And, um, you know, he's, he's done a fantastic job there. And I've no doubt they would have qualified for the playoffs this season had the season been been finished, or, or if it gets finished, I should say, to go back to the, the, the original conversation. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, Darlington, you know, they, they've had a good season. A lot of changes under Allen since he's gone there. And Darren Holloway had a great FA Cup run. Um, did very well, you know, against Walsall. Got a, got a draw down then. Dramatic circumstances. Um, but I think this year for Allen was all about putting the building blocks in place and putting the foundations in place for, for next season. He's made some brilliant signings, not just the lads from uh, from Blythe that he took, but the likes of, you know, Will Haffield is a, a top, top signing. Next season will be where you'll see the best of Darlington whenever that gets underway. Can you just echo a lot of what Mark said there? Obviously, um, Jason Ainsley is somebody that I've, I've encountered a, a number of times. It was at that, that playoff final that you mentioned there, Mark. And yeah, I, I, I you know, endorse everybody you said there. I think he's done a tremendous job. Um, and certainly Darlington under, under Alan Armstrong, they've, I think Darlington have floundered a little bit the last couple of seasons, but, but he looks like he's getting them heading back in the right direction again. Um, and, and yeah, football in the Northeast is, is looking very strong at this level. I mean, I, I think there's probably, I think there's only Hartlepool in the league above, isn't there? But I, I don't think that situation's likely to, to persist. For very much longer when when football does start, finally start being played again, I can see a number of these northeast clubs are upwardly mobile, and, and I can see them joining them in that top division. Ted, you get that feeling at Darlington as well now. You know they've got a kind of a new stadium, and it didn't really happen from the, the last couple of seasons. But this year it has taken off a bit. Well, what you need to remember is Darlington in, in this um, kind of I'm, it pains to say this guise of Darlington because it is still the same club that was in the football league. You know, despite the relegation to the Northern League, but th- this current fan-owned uh, club, it, they only ever knew Martin Gray's manager from from when they were um, in the Northern League, and obviously when he left, he left a massive hole, and, and that took time to replace. Obviously, Tommy Wright went in there and um, just couldn't get things going. But I think it's just taken someone like Alan, who who's gone in and maybe with a you know a, a bit of a fresher outlook and. Uh, Alan, his career at Blythe, his, his managerial career, has only ever known success because he took them to where, where he took them. So he's gone in uh, on the back of um, of a good run with Blythe. He's took a hold of that squad. He's really you know refreshed it. And there's not many players there. I think he said three players or four players are still there from last season. Now, I think that is why they've been a little bit inconsistent at times this season because it's still a new group. And, and that's why I feel you'll see the best of them next season. But the, the impression I get is that they feel as if they're, you know, they're on a, um, on a on a positive run now. They feel as if they are heading in the right direction. And um, you know, same with Hartlepool, by the way. You, you mentioned them briefly there. Hartlepool have had a good season for all the uh, the sort of issues that they've had in the, the last few years since being relegated into the National League. This is probably the first year where they've thought we've got a real genuine chance of the playoffs. And and I, I, you know, it's a big club. It's a, it's a massive club, Hartlepool, for for non-league football. They are. I think the likes of Notts County would say the same. They are a football league club, aren't they? Let's, let's be honest. They, they, they should be a League Two club at least. And it's not that long ago that they were challenging for a place in the Championship. I think people probably remember that playoff final against Sheffield Wednesday when they were um, denied a place in the Championship. But to see them where they are now is is sad. But they do feel as if they are heading in the right direction. Made a great appointment, Dave Chalmer, someone who knows the level very well uh, and can get the best out of players. So. Yeah, the, the, the non-league season, sorry, non-league scene is thriving up here. There is a lot of clubs that are doing well. Um, you know, going further down the pyramid, you South Shields and Warbirds. Uh, Mask were doing well in the, the Northwest Division in the, the Bet Victor Leagues. Um, as with Dunstan in their first year, we have two teams in the semi-finals of the Vols this year, uh, which still could be played. So it's it's 
it's a great scene. I'm, I'm, I must say, from a personal point of view, I'm, I'm very proud to cover the Northeast non-league scene because we've got so many different elements to it and so many clubs that are trying to do the right things. It's um, uh, uh, again going back to what we said earlier on. I'm, I'm never without something to write about. Good that these the northern teams are starting to branch out a bit because it was always kind of in this northern league bubble, and then it was just your your three or four teams. But now that they're starting to show the worth more on a national scale, it's really taking off, isn't it? There is, but I think the, the one thing I'm trying not to look overly protective of the northern league. There were clubs that won the northern league that genuinely probably couldn't have afforded to go up, and people will point at at clubs like Shildon and say, well, they were putting big budgets out there to to, to win leagues and, and to try and win the Vars. But the infrastructure at Shildon at the time wasn't ready to be promoted. They weren't ready behind the scenes. The ground needed work done. Dunstan, you know, they've gone up. And I, I think one point I've been making up here is that clubs who uh, have gone up recently, so your Darlington's, your Spenny Moors, uh, South Shields, Morpeth, they, they've got... Um, They've got I don't know, money behind the scenes, but they had the financial backing to say, right, we'll go again when we get up there and we'll go again and go again. So you've seen where Spennymoor are, are now, you've seen where Darlington are now, South Shields are pushing on. But I think now we're getting to the stage where, so Dunstan have gone up, Mask have gone up. Those clubs don't have big financial backing. They, they don't have where they can just say, right, we'll go and give this player, you know, £600 a week or whatever. Um, but what they, what they are doing is they are getting up to that level in, in, in step four having a season to get used to it and see what it's about and see what the level's about. And then, you know, so Mask this season are having a, a much better season than they did last year. I think Dunstan will do the same next year because they've seen what, you know, what travelling to Workington's like or what travelling to Marine's like. And I think that's what you'll see over the next few years. Northern League teams will come up and they may take a year or two to get used to it, to being out of that Northern League bubble, as you, as you called it uh, co- correctly. But then I think they'll kick on again. So I think within... You know, the next sort of three to four years, that step four division will become effectively like the Northern League because I'd see teams going up, but I can't see them coming back down to the Northern League. You you rounded that off by saying about there always been something to to write about, Mark, and it, it certainly um, feels that way. You know, you've got a you've got a whole you've got so many clubs across you know uh, such a, a span of the divisions there, and there, there's. Uh, it must be, you know, manner from heaven for for somebody who writes for a living to to have so much to write about. Yeah, it's 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 one of those where the, there is literally always something happening. Um, you know, even during this downtime, there's always been things to to hark back to. So I've been doing a lot of nostalgia pieces. So talking about Whitley Bay's FA Vars wins, for example, did one with about uh, Blythe Spartans when they they played Birmingham in the uh, the FA Cup third round, and got like I said, speaking to Nicky Gray, probably when I'm when we're finished on here about his time at Moor. But so there's always something to fall back on, but there's always something happening now as well. What I would say, and again going back to the uh, the situation the country finds it in at the minute, I've I've been so proud of the North East non league scene and seeing the way they've they've kind of reached out and helped supporters and you know, I, I wrote a story a couple of weeks ago about West Auckland town players. They they got their players pool money, so so money they've put in through fines and just collections throughout the season. Um, now that was going to go on uh, to be divvied up amongst the squad as many clubs do at the end of the season and that total £3,000 and that's been donated to the IHS now um, which is an amazing gesture from, from the players there's other clubs that have, have done the same up here Bedlington Terriers for example they did it Bill Nemson Thonia donated it to the, the local NHS hospital um, South Shields have uh, offered to, to take food out to, to supporters uh, vulnerable supporters on um, on Easter Sunday so there's there's just so much going on, and and it it it, it makes me very proud that the when certain clubs in the region uh, further up the uh, the football system, uh, <laughs> who I could name but won't, um, um, they have taken taken some stick. Uh, if I'm honest, not as much as they should have, but we'll, we'll not go into that. Um, you know that the northeast non-league scene is really rallying around the local communities and and. That, again, makes me very, very proud. And that's given me something to write about that I've absolutely loved writing about. Yeah, it's funny you should say about the, the clubs higher up the division, because obviously I think a lot of people at the moment um, with with the lockdown have been watching uh, the Sunderland Till I Die, the, the Netflix documentary. And I suppose that, that reflects so much of, you know, the, the frustrations that come through there, but the passions that people in the North East have for the game. Um, you know, it's... Uh, it, you know, it's an ideal subject for a television programme, but um, it must be quite painful to see, um, you know, clubs of that stature sort of like um, 
getting things wrong and, and dropping through the divisions. Um, so having the non-league scene that, that seems to be like doing so well is a nice counterpoint to that, isn't it? It gives you the, some positivity. Yeah, and like I work on a um, what used to be a TV program up here in the northeast um, with uh, with Olivia Bernard, the former Newcastle player, and a couple of other lads that have played higher up the pyramid. And it, it's one of those when, when we're doing it now because we do it live via Twitter um, these days. And when we're talking about Newcastle, Sunderland, Middlesbrough, uh, the, the kind of view account because we obviously you can see it live when you do a Twitter broadcast, it, it drops when you start talking about those clubs. It, it's in it's it's a tie as well. People when we're talking about the non-league scene because I think the problem now is that there's a, a horrible callous nature about the top end of the game. Where um, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'm, I'm, I was I was brought up a Newcastle fan and. and you know, from a Newcastle supporting family. And it's horrible to see the way that the top end of the, the kind of football system is now. It's, it's almost as if, you know, supporters are taken for granted, um, you know, that they're charged ridiculous prices to go and watch a game of football. And then, you know, you, you can go down to a Northern League game and, and yes, I'm not going to, you know, try and lie here and say that the quality is as good in the Premier League. Clearly it's not. Um, but, you get to see a good, honest game of football for a fiver, and you know you're welcomed as if you're a millionaire when you get there. It's just you know it's sort of like everyone. Um, we all know what non-league football is like. If you go down to a game, you're welcomed in. Your your money's valued probably more so than the top end of the game, and and I think that's what we're seeing now. And you are right that the passion up here for football in general is massive, and I think that's one of the reasons why we have a, a such a great non-league scene because it runs that deep. Do you, do you think possibly the? I mean, I'm thinking particularly of South Shields here, that maybe the um, whether it's disillusionment or that that disconnect that people have got with football at the, the very top end of the game um, is a reason why you know people have responded so positively to what what's happened at South Shields and you know the the, the investment that's been made, but also the success they've had that people pe- that's something people want to be a part of. Yeah, hundred percent. I think I think the, the other thing I would say though is that we haven't. It's not all success up here. We have had clubs that have folded recently um, for various reasons. Um, but looking at that specific example, looking at South Shields, yes, I've got no doubt a lot of their supporters, and there are people that I know, um, are Newcastle supporters or Sunderland supporters. But now they've really bought into what's going on uh, at, at South Shields, and I think when you when you look back, the 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 uh, the signing of Julio Arca, who was someone who played in the Premier League as a cult hero at Sunderland, um, the signing of, of Julio was a catalyst maybe for, for some Sunderland fans at a time when they were constantly battling relegation in the Premier League um, before they got relegated eventually. They, they bought into what Julio was doing there. You know, He bought into the club and, and there was kind of a, a perfect storm there where everything came together. I mean, the day when you know the one of walls at Wembley and they took sixteen seventeen thousand down to Wembley was amazing for a crowd uh, for a club that what five years three years earlier were getting crowds of less than less than fifty considerably less than fifty by the way so you know yes there's been investment but Jeff Thompson is a businessman he's gone in there and as in any business when you're starting up there's got to be a little bit of investment goes in and now it's um, now it's a bit of a monster, if I'm honest, in terms of uh, non-league football. It's, it's something that they've got to keep feeding and, and keep it growing. And um, Jeff has put all the building blocks in place and all the foundations in place for it to become self-sustainable. You know, there's a great academy system there that, that John Shaw is doing a great job with. Um, the, the club is thriving. The, the, the kind of clubhouse is thriving. They've got a, a great commercial setup. So they, they are a club mm-hmm. that are, are going in one direction. And, you know, yes, this will be a blow. I know there's, there's talk of... Of, of possible legal action against the decision that's being made. Um, whether that happens or not, we, we shall see. But they'll be back next season and they'll be back stronger. You know, they will bounce back from this. And along with Morbeth, I firmly believe when the when it is safe for everything to get underway, they will, will be challenging for a place in the National League North. And yeah, neither of them will look out of place either, will they, Mark, when they get into the National League North? No, because I, I look at the squads and... and you know, there's a lot of players in both squads that have done it in that level already. So it's um, it's it's one of those where they the, the will invest in the summer. You know, they the will look to bring in players that can um, get them to that level and, and sustain them at that level. I think both clubs are now at the point where they aren't actually just looking for players to get them promoted. They're looking for players that can get them promoted and sustain at that level. So, um, 
yeah, I think I think both clubs will will go up there, and it, it'd be interesting to see maybe maybe not next season, but the season after, where if Blythe were to stay up, and and then you add South Shields and Morpeth in that mix, so you you, you could potentially have South Shields, Morpeth, Blythe, Darling, and Spennymoor and Gateshead all in one division, which would be a uh, for me, would be would be fantastic. That's a bit of a dream scenario, but uh, we, we we shall see. But yeah, by all means, I think on and off the pitch, both clubs wouldn't look out of place at, at a higher level. Said you saying about uh, Gateshead's average crowds going up to a thousand. That will have helped as well the Newcastle Sunderland thing. And Gateshead's a city in its own right. It's, it's close to Newcastle, so that has got the potential there, and it to get good crowds. The, the, the problem, with, the problem with Gateshead is, and, and I hope any Gateshead fans listening don't take offence to this, is I think sometimes it's seen as part of Newcastle, and it's not. It's its own town. It's got its own identity, um, you know. And, and I think the hardcore supporters at Gateshead, and I've stood amongst them for for pieces that I've wrote for the Sunderland Echo, they are they are as proud as any support base I've seen in, in the country, and I, I genuinely mean that. They, they love that club. Um, that they've got no. Um, illusions of, of what the town is about and what the, the club is about they, they know which way they want to go um, and, and I just think that there has been a, a little trickle of support from uh, disillusioned Newcastle fans which is you know taking it over that thousand possibly but I think more so it's where the club's been in the last sort of 12 months I think the, the, there are a lot of supporters that have maybe moved away from the club that have seen how close it's got to going under and, and come back to the cause if you want to put it that way um, so I think as much as we could say, and you're probably all right to a certain extent, that it is Newcastle or Sunderland fans who've become disillusioned. I think there is more so um, the people of Gateshead have, have answered the call of uh, you know, after what happened last year. It feels like I could be spending a lot more of my weekends in the northeast. Uh, You'd be more, more you know, than I one. think there's probably already about. Oh yes, well I have an auntie in Middlesbrough, so she's uh, <laughs> I, I I I stay with her fairly regularly and and use that as my base when I'm up there. But yeah, it looks like there's going to be even more opportunities to to see her over the uh, the coming years. I would think with the way things are going in the northeast around football. And do you know what, as well, we spoke a lot about Tyneside and Wearside, but we shouldn't forget Teesside because they, they, there's a lot of good things happening on Teesside. I mentioned Mask, they were um, set for a playoff place in the, in the North West Division at Step 4. Um, you look at Stockton, they were champions elect of the Northern League. They would have won the title. There's, I've got no doubt about that. I would put my mortgage on it. Um, you've got clubs like Billings and Thornia Redcar Athletic who are in the second tier of the Northern League. They were challenging for promotion. Birmingham Town, Thorne have been, have been promoted in the last couple of seasons. So, you know, the, the, the scene on Teesside is, is absolutely thriving at the minute, more so than anywhere. Yeah, I know. Um, I was at um, Wembley for the Vars final two years ago. Stockton were uh, beaten finalists that year as well, weren't they? So, uh, yeah, lots to be positive about up in the North East. Excellent. Well, Dickie, Chris, Mark, thanks for joining us. Thanks for having me. It's been really good to talk to you. Yeah, cheers, guys. Uh, don't forget to subscribe to us on iTunes or Spotify and give us a follow on Twitter as well, at NLFullTime or drop us an email, nlfulltime at gmail.com. Until then, stay safe, stay inside and uh, enjoy the sunshine, but obviously from a distance. Until then, see you all very soon.